Hey, Matt. Matt, where are you? Oh. So everyone knows uh, Matt has decided to skip out on this podcast. Matt, actually, you're probably one of the listeners now that I think of it. So uh, enjoy the ride. Matt's out and about adventuring in the Ontario wilderness one last time this fall before winter sets in. For those of us that are out in the West Coast, fall has set in very quickly. I've been sucked in with rain and fog and smog and and we've had the the wildfires from the Pacific Northwest come in. But personally, it's just uh, my kids are back in school. It's really shifted me into fall mode right away. I'm wearing sweatpants. Um, there, there's some benefits when the weather changes. You know, we've got our pumpkin spice lattes and, and it's a funny one. Like Matt and I, we'd be talking sports for like five minutes right now. And, and you know, how sad it is that the Raptors are out and, you know, Blue Jays have been scuffling, but they're in for the playoffs. Football has started. And one of my hobbies is doing commentary for dodgeball. That's restarted in spite of COVID, uh, which is alive and well, unfortunately, still. So... I just came back from a vacation, took two weeks off. It was fantastic. Something I recommend, take a full two weeks when you can. A lot of research says that's, that's what it really takes for your, your brain to reset. So I went on some hikes and some adventures, but did a lot of personal time because now that I'm back, you know, Matt, I don't know how long you've been here, but this is 10 years for me, which made me think I should do a podcast for our 10th anniversary. I tell you, charities, they love to celebrate anniversaries. And, you know, I've had a joke where <laughs> we should announce in an email for our 10th anniversary that we'll be raising our prices 10% just to celebrate. Hopefully it would, it would show our clients that the concept of anniversaries isn't quite what they make it up to be. It's a good time of reflection internally and celebration, but not necessarily relevant for external folks. And it's just one of the issues of what I would sort of describe as charity narcissism, where you're concerned that people don't want to receive a message from you. You're concerned that people uh, want to hear your programs and they want to hear your anniversaries and, and no, that's not true. They want to be generous and they want to be a hero and they want to give to a cause through your organization. And sure, sure, we have loyal donors, but like, you know, how you define that, that, that's so important. Anyways, I'm going to make this more about what I've noticed in fundraising in Canada for the last 10 years. So it's not really about global fundraising and whatnot. My last 10 years, there's been a lot of change or Frontier's last 10 years, it's been unbelievable. And I'll speak to that briefly just for context, but I wanna spend most of my time talking about the last 10 years. I think this will be fun because part of why I like doing these podcasts is I've got two kids and this is kind of just a neat way, I hope, and almost as like a time capsule for them to hear how I express myself through my profession of fundraising. Kind of a cool thing is here I am, Thanks to COVID in, in my daughter's bedroom, in Ellie's bedroom. Uh, she's 11 right now. Uh, so 10 years ago, I had a, a one-year-old in, in my home when I was just starting Frontier. We had moved to, to Victoria from Vancouver. I was 24 years old. So here I am at 34. And I've been doing a lot of thinking of what my next 10 years look like. And my daughter will be 21 years old. And 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 Matthew will be 18 so it's it's interesting both kids will have graduated high school at this time a decade from now really 
Anyways, so part of my history, just to kind of give you the explainer, is I started working at Royal Roads when I was 20. So I've been in the, the nonprofit space my whole adulthood, really. And I, I enjoyed working as a marketing associate, among other things, at Royal Roads in my first couple of years. I started an entrepreneurial endeavor with my friend and now colleague, Heath Johns. We started a, a micro-volunteering company. Got myself in the, the, the Globe and Mail. Pretty fun. We thought we were on the, the front lines of a, of a trend in the digital industry. Turns out it was a little bit different. What was, what was interesting about it is it will be relevant to our conversation about the next year. Uh, but that was, that was 2008, 2009. And that was the time Barack Obama got elected. And we'll, we'll get back to that. So the thing didn't work out, and I got hired by Union Gospel Mission in Vancouver by Kevin Gilbert and Janessa Greening, uh, who would play a really big role in the, the lead up to what's now Frontier. I got hired as an interactive media specialist. We would have used web now or digital uh, marketing strategist. The position has changed quite a bit over the last decade. But one of the big things about it was I got to see our website, oversee our, our email for UGM. At that time, it was a little under a million dollars a year, so it was still a big deal. But for you know, a $10 million organization, that's, you're not in the you know, 10% of, of the overall fundraising. So it's nice, but it's no big deal. I, I had noticed a lot of the digital trends are you know, Twitter, using email, uh, using Facebook, uh, communicating frequently. There was just this idea of digital tribes were building up. It was, it was a pretty optimistic time, especially following Barack Obama's election. Um, eventually, I did need to move back to the island for, with my family reasons, and I turned my employment into a contract position. And I, I named that kind of contracting instead of just Ben Johnson Consulting or Ben Johnson and Associates. Uh, I named it Frontier Consulting. Um, and that was an homage to, homage to my, my grandpa's company. I started consulting on the side a decade ago now. And a lot has changed for me. A lot has changed for Frontier. We're overseeing millions and millions and from a healthy roster of clients. When at the time, it was just basically me doing my you know, UGM.ca consulting and, and helping to grow their email fundraising. So I, for the team, I, I actually you know, grabbed some photos from Facebook from a decade ago, which by the way, Facebook was around a decade ago and, and did some reflection on, on some of the things that, like, that have changed, some of the things that are still there. And the overall message that I want to share is not much has changed. A lot of times... Uh, when clients talk about change, I think it's actually more organizational change or change for them and, and their perspective. So I can tell you that I've had a lot of perspective shift over the last decade and Frontier has changed and our client roster has changed. But from what I can see of the fundraising landscape and even a societal landscape, a, a decade goes by fast. I have like a 2011 iMac that I'm recording this right now. And yes, Zoom is new, and we'll probably circle back to that, but I could have been recording this on Skype. And, you know, PayPal is a really popular company right now. Facebook, Google, Amazon, guess what? Those were pretty relevant a decade ago. I also have on my desk an iPhone. 
That's one of the really big changes that we can talk about over the last decade. But guess what? We had them back then. And in 2010, I started bringing an iPad into work. I wrote an article in 2011 about using an iPad or a tablet for work processes. It's now a really big part of, of my work now. And some of the things that have changed is basically the screen size was so small on an, on an iPhone. We didn't use it the way we do now. And so we had an obnoxiously large iPad that we could, we could use. Now, iPhones are so big, it's kind of weird to use, use iPads. They have a different purpose. And I, I'd say it's, it's actually much more limited. And it turns out computing power, we're pretty good. A lot of our designers, like they are programmers, they would use the, our best computers. But even then, like they're, they're not premium machines. Premium priced still. But that's just definitely one of the things that's, that surprised me. We could go into some of the nuances, but, but really from a tech perspective, 10 years ago, we were, I'd say, on the front lines for Frontier of building websites on WordPress. Now it's a pretty standard thing. And, and for, for folks that are new to our team, they might not have known just how many other options charities had for building websites in the 2000s and, and how extraordinarily expensive the process of content management was. The, the work of an agency, in my mind, hasn't shifted greatly. Something that's happened for us is, is, of course, the move to remote work. It's so hard to say, like, what's the predictions for the next 10 years? But you know what's funny? 10 years ago, we were in all remote office. I did some Googling, and it's so fun when, when you access to the internet that saves everything. We could talk about five trends that will affect online fundraising in 2010. And so one, one article here from Network for Good says, uh, you may see a greater number of donations with a smaller average gift size. As much as the media talks about a possible economic rebound, for those of us that remember of the Great Recession, prospective supporters will still be wary of donating to new causes. Like, this really doesn't seem like earth-shattering stuff. Another one, e-mail. Remember when we used to do that? old folks, outreach will continue to its upward trend, meaning more email and subscribers in dash boxes or inboxes. So it's interesting to be like, hey, it's 2010. What this means for you, you need to be at the top of your email game with some stellar subject lines and catchy, relevant copy. Your messages will rise to the top. Boy, if you just listened to that, that'd be fantastic. Also, FYI, that's important for the next 10 years. Here's the big one that I think is a real huge change over the last decade. It's talking about recurring giving will be a huge portion of online giving. There's been technical issues in the past around recurring and monthly giving in general. And I think a lot of that has been solved. And charities have been buoyed by really big changes in our society over the last 10 years, which is the move to subscription payments. In a, in a way that like, you know, our, our parents' generation or times before there's, you know, like Matt, you may not have ever paid a cable bill, but you know, I did for a while and it felt really strange and unbelievably expensive. A decade ago, I remember Netflix and I used the, the pre-digital version of Netflix in the 2000s. And wow, is it like just the idea that I'm paying for Crave, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and a few others, Spotify for listening to music. Like if we we're talking a decade ago, like I'd be, I'd be downloading songs once in a while or buying a CD. 
And that's, that's a big area of change is our, our usage of subscription services. And really 10 years ago, the talk I used to give to people was around faith-based groups and well, like, Hey, like getting them to give monthly is not so much of a big deal because they were trained to give weekly. So here's another one. As in the past, year-end gifts will account for a substantial percentage of total annual contributions. Honestly, you know, not to call out the, the organization or the writer here, like that was a dedicated goal. I don't see how that's like a, a, a noteworthy trend. Of course, year-end is a big thing. Here's some other ones that, that kind of missed the mark in my mind. Three trends to foolproof your future fundraising. Um, this was written in 2011. The rise of individual fundraisers you know, the run, walk, ride concepts. I'm going to say that that wasn't as much of a win as, as, as their prediction said it was. Uh, peer-to-peer fundraising, it, I think it's been something that people gravitated to without much of, of an uptick. Like it exists, but the, the, the whole desire was social influencers were going to just, just totally build your donor file. And, and that I haven't seen the case. Of course, they raise money, but of, also they're very expensive. The rise of the socially conscious partnership. I don't even know what that's really referring to because it was talking about the growth of corporate social responsibility. You know, I, I could read the, the, the paragraph here, but that definitely uh, didn't happen. And then the last one is somewhat of a generic say, uh, statement, which is the shift in donor attitudes. Well, okay. So in the course of a decade, that's going to shift. Um, but it's like, if you look at the shift in fundraising over time from door to door to the, to the phone, email, uh, and the web and social media sites, you'll also be able to see a fundamental shift in donor attitudes. We think there will be a huge change from now through 2016. <laughs> Speaking in advance of something we're going to talk about is 2016. There's, you know, we didn't think what was going to happen happened there and beyond and, and want you to be ready for it. According to a study of 8,000 Americans, 7,000 Canadians of all ages and giving levels, um, done by the firm Cygnus Applied Research. Their findings indicate a definite shift in giving, paving the way for a new independent donor. They do their research online and make confident choices. Fundraising needs to adapt to this proactive donor who won't be told when and how to give. Well, Chantal, be ready to, to use our, our first bleep. What a load of bullshit. So, I got a few things for us. One is reason is not the reason. That is something I've been saying for most of a decade. And I think there's, there's underlying a lot of people feel like, oh, well, the, yeah, this marketing doesn't work on me. Or all of a sudden people are going to see through it, like the, like the Matrix in 1999, which when you think it's just, holy shit, that's an old movie. And no, like there, there isn't someone who's going to be proactive and and won't be told when and how to give because there's also going to be the rise of good marketers. If we step back and think of the power of social networks now and then like how we're, how algorithms have risen is, is, is very much able to understand how to do great marketing and how to be effective. So <laughs> I, I won't read any more of these, but I, I, the, one of the lessons learned is we, we overestimate how much things are linear and how much they'll change over time. Well, the cool thing that inspired me in 2008 is around Barack Obama's election, one of the things that they talked about was email A-B testing and, and how it had such an effect on results. What they were really talking about was this the idea that like small incremental changes can continue to influence people. 
So over time, we, we, we've learned to master a lot of those tools and they haven't been changing at that rapid of a pace. Because um, another thing that I wrote down is fundraising. It's not rocket science, but it's not easy. It's something I've been talking about for a while and maybe less lately. But part of the fundamentals of it isn't as data-driven or as AI or like all of a sudden like we're, we're going to just be following an, an algorithm's decisions. We're still in the charity sector. Um, there's enormous inefficiencies to how decisions are made. It's very much a relationship industry. And, and people don't do things as frequently enough so that it is unbelievably predictable. And one of the things that is a positive, actually, is everyone is eligible to become a donor. That's something that's baked into every human. And so one of my tenure thoughts was actually just something more or less to do with the Grinch. So Dr. Seuss wrote the Grinch many, many, many years ago. There's been, I think, three movies since, and it illustrates one of the bigger trends in our society. And I've been recently watching Cobra Kai, and it's such a good one because it's also like 35 years ago, here was this movie with a couple sequences, uh, sequels I had no idea about. And then, and now it's, you know, 35 years later, it's so fascinating because one of the tropes that we'd see in, in the Grinch was angry, older male, angry, older male is just angry, older male. He's the Grinch. Why is he angry? You're like, well, just some men are angry with a sufficient plot at the time. His heart was just a few sizes too small. And then, you know, move forward to the, the Jim Carrey era and like, I hate that one, but like, it's just weird to me. They have a backstory all of a sudden. It's like, why, why was the Grinch so angry? Before it was like, well, you know, just some men are angry and that's the way they are. And now it's like, well, when he was young, he was picked on as a kid. And, and it's led to this downward spiral for him. And, and it was a different story, even more so ar around the Benedict Cumberbatch character. And the thing I enjoyed is what we're witnessing is like, this is the shift in donor attitudes. This is the shift in society is, is actually just this understanding for the most part of empathy. One of my beliefs is our society is getting better over time, over the last 50, 100, 200 years. I don't think it happens very linearly. And sometimes we have of kind of dead decades of growth. And I think we kind of had a boring decade for the last 10 years. One of the biggest things is that it's societal norms have shifted over the last decade, more so than fundraising, technology, data. We're still, you know, it's, it's, it's a communication frequency business where I think some of the, the times we, you know, particularly our clients, just hope that like we could send a message and it would be so predictive, like minority report, that we'd get a near 100% response rate. But that's... Is presuming that technology treating us like robots and that all we need is to be kind of asked to respond and give and then boom, here we go, versus that this is actually a long relationship um, that might begin with this clarity of need for the donor to begin their journey and, and a, a long story for them that ends in a legacy gift. So here's another trend that I noticed. We have of course, it's an increasing comfort with e-commerce. Uh, right now, I'd say probably over the next decade, it'll be an, a comfort of giving through texting, through our phone, 
um, through something that is technically possible now, but just seems like it's ripe with deceit or fraud. Like, oh, I, you know, I, if I got a, a text message from a charity, how would I know it's from them? And what it really was also for the last decade was face-to-face and phone-in, phoning like services, telephone raising. I would say that text-based giving is, has got all the markers of something that a decade ago has grown to be a big, big force now, right? Like email giving. Societal changes around gender, sexual orientation, and around money are some of the bigger trends that I would have noticed. And the things is our zeitgeist changes over time, but I think that donors changes slower because we're not talking about a progressive or young side of the population. We're talking people in, in their, the second half of their life. Uh, but nonetheless, there's some, some really big changes around views of money. And uh, the money that they have is very different uh, than, than a decade ago or more when, when for their parents' generation. You know, any homeowners made an enormous amount of money. They have enormous amount of access to debt, credit cards. The boomers and their relationship with banks, I think, is fundamentally different than their, their parents before them. It's one of the reasons why banks were so big. If you think of fundraising and you think of uh, boomers, I, I think it's just important to remember their psychology of money. One really positive change in my mind over the last decade is if you think of it in like sports, there's, there's often inefficiencies in drafts and, and smaller talent pools than there should be. And, and if, you, if you think the fact that, that baseball was whites only for so long, how do we know that Babe Ruth was, was the best player? Because we didn't have full access to this. Really for a lot of our client base is the rise of women in leadership. This has been a very long time coming. But a lot of history was that kind of women would max out at management versus senior leadership, if not executive leadership. I can't remember the U.S. bank right now, but they have a female CEO for the first time in their history. And I think that'll be a trend that will continue to improve the charitable sector. And I think there will be a rise um, of the more high energy progressive top talent to replace um, the kind of aging boomer and, and, you know, this, the Joe Bidens of the world, we'll say. If you want to send anything in for like specifics over the last 10 years, even, even fundraising for me, you can always email junkmail at frontier.io. We answer all our email there. So there's, there's two things that I've been really reflecting on, on, and lately of like, well, what would, if I had to make a bet on the next 10 years, kind of where would I go? And, and it's interesting because for one, financial technology is very slow to move and it can go backwards after going forwards. So like, we, I don't want to say, Hey, in 10 years, these will be your behaviors. Furthermore, uh, folks like my mom, they're going to go from being 67 to 77. And, and when I think about my mom's life, I don't think her patterns change very much over the next decade. And so if I want to be a good fundraiser to her, consistency has its value and predictability. And, and I think that's where we forget as marketers, it's really just clarity that we want to provide and value and impact and accountability, particularly if you're a charity. Here's two. I think podcasts are going to grow 
incredibly over the next decade. I think it'll be a much more relevant part of general society over the next 10 years. You can see organizations like Spotify that understand it. They've been buying out all the top talent. It's been growing at an unbelievable rapid pace, but it's not new. I've been a huge fan of podcasts for, for most of this last decade. Some I've listened to throughout and you the structure has been changing uh, so here we are <laughs> I, you know, honestly i just actually realized that it's on a podcast that i'm talking about this <laughs> and honestly the, this is a new form for me to communicate with others previously also it would only be like people who deserve to be on radio talking on radio or broadcasting on channels youtube continues to rise but i think podcasts have their own value and and there's been some divergence in style again like ours tends to be let's say 30 to 40 minutes pretty standard but i've seen other agencies do like a a seven podcast series Um, of course there's a lot of those kind of serial type podcasts that exist the ringer that i follow has been producing all sorts of different styles one were just like three to five minutes and in the charity sector this is relevant in two ways Uh, we've seen one of our clients Uh, not too long ago, Embrace Doing Podcasts, actually a couple, how they communicate broadly, I think will change. We've been recommending clients use this service called voice broadcast messaging. Actually, now that I think of it, another way to think of that is also a podcast. How do you communicate what's happening on the field or with their money? Another way to, to reach consumers and donors is through advertising and podcasts. We've got one client that's going to be doing Spotify ads uh, this fall. I think that's going to grow quite a bit over the next decade. So, hey, 44-year-old Ben, uh, if you're listening to this, I I hope I didn't misspeak too much and uh, embarrass us, but I think podcasts um, are going to be a big one. I'm recording this with Zoom, so uh, I don't know if I'm just like thinking about things that are, are just in my life right now, but... The idea of webinars, pre-recording, video meetings, we've held back on conference calls so long, and we suck at this. Zoom fatigue is is a new skill that we're not doing well at, and so we're getting tired. Uh, We don't know where to look. Our brains are confused. Our manners are off. It's It's a skill that I think is actually instead of, um, and then I, and I, this is a different position that I had before, where it's like, oh, I don't want to be the Zoom CEO. But no, this, I, I would say that charities and in fundraising, there's an enormous room for growth here. And, you know, Joe Biden didn't master this skill with his town halls, but I do see our, our emerging leaders, it, they can do an incredible job in, in improving on the opportunity to engage with donors this way. Um, the expense, you know, and people often, you know, chide us in the fundraising industry for the expense of, say, direct mail. But, you know, something that I don't ever think will change is you'll always have a physical presence. So kind of one thing I didn't mention is I don't think direct mail is going to change very much at all over the next decade. How we use it will be more technical. There'll be agencies that do a better and worse job of it. I think Frontier is going to do a great job of it, of course. Donor visits, reporting back from the field, being very genuine with it. And also the donors, <laughs> just think of many people in their 60s and 70s this year had their first ever Zoom call. And 
so watching Cobra Kai and then watching my kids interact with uh, my mom, we're doing video calls. We're doing, uh, if we're doing FaceTime or, or Zoom, it's, it's, it's not something you do a decade ago. Also, video would be blurry. Our kind of connectedness is an issue. So I think as we learn to better use pre-recorded video, live video, that the technology helps us in, in that we, how do we make it more human? We have no idea how we're going to use it in the next 10 years because I think it'll be that incremental optimization where I've been spending a lot of time doing it going, how do I have a great Zoom meeting with a client or a fellow staff member? And it'll take us a while. And, and, and one dawning moment for me was kind of my last one, which is I think the biggest change over the next uh, decade will be education. I've got a phrase now, Gen Zs don't need degrees. My daughter... Uh, my son, I recently uh, signed them up for these these sort of one-hour courses that could have been about anything. And so Ellie learned about Animal Crossing, and Matthew did a, a drawing class. And it was it was essentially it was their first Zoom class that they did, and and I could see humanity at work as well. Ellie loved it; she was just so zoned in. There was a small class; um, they were from all over North America, and but like she was also learning social norms and Matt, among others, this is, you know, we've all had to learn it, but like, how do you interrupt someone or how do you say, say what you want to say in a, in a group in zoom? We haven't figured that out. I'll just say that as, as a leader who's been talking to people on zoom, it's painful. The fear of public speaking is, is so much worse on zoom uh, than in a small group in a, in our cafe at the old office. Anyways, so Ellie goes to say, like, hey, what's everyone's favorite animal? And you're talking to a room full of narcissists. So, like, they're all going to talk about their thing. And, and, and she wants to say hers. And she, she kept trying to find that open window to speak and then went. <gasps> and, like, you could just see, like, she just she went to go, you know, to say her thing. I just you kept not finding the time and and I you know I smiled at her and looked and like she she kind of looked away. I knew that she was trying to say her thing and I just couldn't find that window and it was very respectful of others and and she has a lot of empathy. She didn't just barge in and just talk over people. And I and I think her and my son and my son is typing things out a lot but using his voice. And so I think that'll be, you know, it's a big change that happens in society is he's improving his diction and not his writing. Um, so his communication will be about saying things the proper way that the computer wants to hear and, and not necessarily being a great writer. But either way, I think it'll change communication habits. And I feel like for the most part, we've done a great job of it. For Frontier, the two clients that we lost this year, they were, they were in the education field. And, and I don't see a recovery there in the next decade. As an employer, I've never valued a, a formal degree. And having used to work at a, at a university, it's the price to value, I think, is like a newspaper compared to Google. One of the things that was innovative about Royal Roads University was it was an online and campus, but the idea of learning online was novel then. In Canada, some of the biggest changes in education happened with the rise of international students. So the funding model has shifted quite a bit. And I think that's kept education going in this older model with a little bit of online university growth. But then the latest that I've seen is the an MBA isn't a technical term. 
because people are saying alt MBA for Seth Godin's. There's, you know, Ben's MBA. You could have just something where it's like, you know, the Dr. Seuss MBA program isn't necessarily we would have if if I said that ten years ago, it means that someone named their MBA program after Dr. Seuss. And now it it just basically means how to think like him. And there's this business mastery course that I've I've seen. Uh, it's like two hundred and seventy five dollars. Like literally my degree potentially in value for $10,000 less. And I think as an employer, especially in the marketing industry, it's more of a trades model. It's more of apprenticeship. You need to learn by doing it with us and you need to learn our industry. And really, maybe this is just more for our staff. Like, you know, you, you learn a technical skill, but it might not have been that efficiently delivered through university. And honestly, Marketing courses are terrible, in my opinion, from, you know, like from what I see, what I've seen, who teaches them, to be honest, right? You know, those who can't do teach is, is a cliche for a reason. And, and I think the value of education and the pricing of it, when advertising used to be far more expensive than it is now, because you used to have to, you know, spend $50,000 on a section of a newspaper and be told its value and now you get to just see it in action and pay per result. And, and I really think the concept of lifelong learning is something I've always appreciated and it was a big part of Royal Roads. I think continuing studies is how things will grow and how we learn in small groups and incrementally and digitally. And, and I think that'll be a tough one. If you're a charity in the education industry, being that you're trying to have people pay thousands per year for many, many years. I, I do think that's going to be something that we're going to look back on in 2030 and go and notice how much that's changed us. Yeah. And so I think the three things that I would be seeing over the last 10 years that will continue as sort of more very nuancing things is we'll better understand empathy, how to connect with other people and how to unlock their empathy. Fear in the nonprofit industry changes over time as leadership changes and, and waste. I think, you know, if we talk about these three things, empathy, fear, and waste, those are three drivers that I think individually, organizationally, and societally change over the next decade. I hope if you're a good marketer that you help grow every individual's empathy, which will unlock their ability to give. We understand that fear is in any risk-adverse leader or charity, but abundance and growth are out there. We can literally make money and shift people's behaviors in terms of where they like to spend their money. And, and waste, is, waste is its own topic. I think instead of vilifying it, or being afraid to do something because of a fear of waste. Just know that it's a technical field and there's this huge opportunity for optimizing and that there's a natural waste in, in art and in innovation and in a relationship ultimately. That not every touch point is going to be a sale because that's not what a relationship is. It's not always take, take, take. Sometimes you need to be providing value in a message without an immediate um, receipt. And 
I think as we understand more about the value of monthly giving, high value giving, legacy giving, we realize that it's, it's a very long donor journey if you view it that way. And if you spend one or two dollars on a piece of mail that contributes to a deeper relationship, it's, you know, the more our clients think about long-term donor value, the better our whole industry will be. So that's it. This is the Ben Solo edition for Frontier.fm. Frontier.fm is produced by Ben Johnson, not Matt Hussey today, and Rosie Everett. Research by Ines Perdue and sound engineering and editing by Chantal Newman.